Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. Welcome to another episode of The Best Life Podcast. I am your host, Jill Coleman, and today I am doing a solo. Danny J is traveling and doing her own thing, and I wanted to jump on and do a solo for you guys. And this solo is going to be in the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial uh, bucket. So as you guys know, if you listen to our intro, we talk about everything from relationships, communication, all that kind of stuff into also entrepreneurship. So I know we do have a lot of coaches listening. Maybe we have people who are in leadership positions. Um, And if you are a coach, surprise, surprise, you are a leader. And today I want to share with you guys just a few things from my personal journey over the last three years in my business at Jill Fit. If you listen to Fit Biz You, which is my other podcast, we go into a lot of entrepreneurial stuff, a lot about online business, coaching, stuff like that. And of course, Danny and I both have a lot of experience in online business and um, can share a lot of that here. We often don't, but wanted to talk a little bit about leadership today and management. And really, I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately because I I am enrolling for my high level mastermind called strategy and scale. And when people work with me in strategy and scale, one of the things we do is we not only of course, scale the business, look at more advanced strategy, but we also start building out your team. And so this will, this episode won't necessarily be um, applicable to everyone, but if you are in a leadership position of some kind, you don't have to own your online own business, but if you are a business owner, it's great. If you're a digital, what we call a digital CEO, this will definitely be applicable. Or if you're just in a leadership position in a corporate setting. Um, if you're you know, project manager, if you are managing other people, if you're in a leadership position, this episode is going to be uh, applicable to you. So I want to talk about eight lessons that I've learned over the last three years at Jill Fit, scaling from a two-person team to a 10-person team. Now, only five, we only have five people on the executive team, but we also do have a bunch of coaches that work for us, and we're actually hiring a new position right now. And so I want to share with you, over the last three years, eight lessons that I have learned personally up-leveling the business, not only scaling, we're not going to really talk about numbers and revenue and all that kind of stuff right now, but really talking more about team development, company culture, leadership, things like that. I want to share with you the eight lessons that I've learned. Now, number one is this, realize that if you have an online brand of some kind, or you have an audience of some kind, you are a leader, whether or not you know you are. And this is um, actually something that I didn't really want for a long time. If you've listened to this podcast before, when we've talked about business stuff, you might've heard me say, you know, I was really turned off by the idea of having a big team. I, my number one sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess my number one need uh, is autonomy. And so thinking to myself, God, I'm going to have to manage people. I'm going to have all these things on my schedule. Everyone's going to need me. Like I'm going to have to micromanage. I was like, there's nothing I want to do less. (laughs) I want to go to Hawaii for three weeks and no one bother me. And it was in 2020 where 
the world shut down and a lot of personal trainers uh, were out of work and a lot of group fitness instructors and people started coming online and trying to figure out how to deliver fitness and nutrition solutions online that my business really blew up. And I hate to say that because I know a lot of people did not have a great experience during the pandemic. Um, but at Jill Fit, we had a lot of people who wanted to learn what I teach. And so I was sort of poised at that time to take on a lot of clients. The problem was that my business and the infrastructure hadn't been built out. So we really didn't have a lot of places to put some of these people who wanted to learn. I was launching my beginner to business program like once a year. I, at that point, did not have an intermediate level program. I had a mastermind, but that only ran once a year too. And so what happened was I started on taking a lot of one-on-one -on -one clients and it was fine. It was like really good money. I kept increasing my prices, but I was at one point, like in early 2021, late 2020, I was literally working like four days a week, eight hours a day in Zoom. And I had to look up and say to myself, like, Jill, you started your business because you want an autonomy and you literally don't have any autonomy. <laughs> like you're in an autonomy trap. The thing that you said you wanted, you have just literally given up. And I said to myself, I'm back at the gym working 70 hours a week, except now the gym, quote unquote, gym is my desk. And so I had to get real about figuring out a way to leverage my time better and start working smarter, not harder. At that point, I joined a mastermind and I joined a mastermind with my mentor, James Wedmore, who at the time was working like a couple hours a week. Like he was working like one hour a day. He had built like a $10 million business with like six or seven people on his team. And I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to do team like that. And I think if it wasn't for his example, I wouldn't have known that that existed. And so when I made the decision to scale, I really had in mind how I wanted it to look. I certainly did not want it to take more of my time. I wanted to learn how to work smarter, not harder. And what was interesting at the time was I remember saying to James, you know, I just don't think that I'm a good leader. I just don't think I'm a good manager. I don't think it's my skill set. And he was like, you're already a leader. Like you're already a leader. And I was like, God, he's so right. And so number one is realizing that learning to embrace leadership is the first step in scaling. And it was finally when I was like, you know what? I'm already doing this. I'm, I'm leading my clients. I'm leading my customers. I'm leading my small team. I'm leading myself. I'm like, God, like I already am doing this. And so then it was a matter of just owning it and realizing that leadership is really about taking radical responsibility for everything, not just my own words, my actions and the outcomes of those things, but those of my team members as well. Taking 100% responsibility is way easier than blaming and complaining and defecting and deflecting and becoming you know, defensive. And that was just a major sort of up level, I feel like, at least in my mindset. I was like, okay, like I'm going to lean into, and I think I've said this in other episodes, I'm going to lean into responsibility. And when I say responsibility, I don't mean personal responsibility, like I take responsibility for my actions. I mean responsibility for bringing on other people. Now I'm, you know, I started bringing on uh, more team members. We had like five executive team members within the first year and being like, okay, I'm responsible for people's livelihood. I'm responsible for people, you know, making, paying their bills. I'm responsible for people's happiness to a certain degree, to their peace of mind, to a certain degree, to their stress for a certain degree. And that's a lot of responsibility. And so I think you can shirk it or you can show up powerfully and really own it. And I haven't been perfect, of course, since day one, but I'm getting better. So number one is realizing that you're already a leader. It's just a choice to step into that role. Number two is that realizing that yes, your employees, or even if you have some contractors or some people that you're uh, managing, 
they, yes, they want to make great money, but what I have found is actually people oftentimes want a great lifestyle even more. So yes, of course they want to make money, but not the expense of the things that make them happy. And so being a boss or being a CEO or being in a leadership position, realizing that a lot of times my employees want more flexibility. They want incentives. They want uh, reasons to do a good job. They want acknowledgement. They want mentorship from me. They want to learn it. They want to get better at certain skills. They want me to trust them. And stepping into that is really a balance because as a leader, and this is what I've learned, and this is why I actually really like management way more than I thought, I was under the impression that management was really micromanagement. I was thinking to myself, okay, now I'm going to have to have all these you know, uh, meetings on my calendar and I have to like check everything 50 million times. And sure, maybe there's a little bit of that at the beginning, but really leading is incentivizing people to lead themselves. And when I realized that things started to become really fun because I'm like, I want people to lead themselves, to be proactive, to initiate certain things. And if I'm micromanaging, then they're going to feel stifled and chances are they're going to fucking leave. And so realizing that, yes, people want a great money, but they also want uh, incentive to push harder. They want bonuses. They want opportunities to do a good job, to have recognition, to feel acknowledged. And I know maybe if you're already in a leadership position or you've done leadership training, you have probably already learned all of this. Um, but for me, I was learning on my own. I was learning in my own time. And I think for me, I'm so self-sufficient. I've always been someone who's just like, cool, just give me the information. I got it. I'm going to run with it. Being able to not only bring people in who have that same mentality, but get people to lead themselves and finding people who don't want a whole lot of micromanagement, you know, and people who are like, I need time and freedom and space to make my own decisions and work when I want to work and things like that. So number two is, of course, yes, people want great money, but really in my experience, they want a lot of these other incentives, probably even more. Number three is have the hard conversation every single time. And in fact, it's sort of literally your job to have the hard conversation. You know, when I think about this, sometimes when I talk about leadership, Simon Sinek is great at this. He has a book called Leaders Eat Last, and he has a lot of stuff on leadership and, and management and stuff like that. And he's been a really great resource for me. But, you know, when I think about it, it really is a massive opportunity. It's one of my favorite quotes by Billie Jean King. She says, pressure is a privilege. And when I think about that, I always think about no one in my business can take more initiative than me, right? No one can provide more direction than me. No one can make themselves more vulnerable than I can in my organization. So it's really time to step up to the plate. No one's going to initiate a hard conversation with me. Why would they? <laughs> so me waiting and thinking like, well, we'll see if they bring it to me or like whatever. Like all this, like, it's like, no, you're the leader. Like you go first, right? You step up. You're the one who needs to be initiating these conversations. You're the one who needs to be vulnerable. You're the one who, because no one can ever be at that level, to the level that you are. So have the hard conversation. There's a book called Crucial Conversations that is really uh, great for this. And it's how to initiate those conversations, how to hold it down, how to maybe be able to stay in that place of objectivity and stay clinical when you're having a hard conversation. We've actually done whole episodes on this. Um, but that is really big, is being the one to initiate the conversation and not let too much time pass for sure. If you're trying to talk shit about, you know, of an employee or a team member or something like y'all, 
you're not allowed, you just like, you can't get away with that stuff anymore. And for me, I really love this whole process. I'm like, yes, because it's, it's a process of holding myself to a higher standard is what it ends up becoming. And I really love that. I love the challenge of that. I love the integrity associated with that. I love feeling as if I'm doing a good job. I like really being, uh, I don't say critical of myself, but being uh, clinical with the ways in which I can get better. And to me, there's, there's this sort of thing, and I forget whose work it is, but there's two types of people. It's a psychological construct where there are people who are maximizers. And then there are people who are satisfizers and maximizers are like, Hey, this is great, but how can things be better? And satisfiers are like, it's fine. It's good enough. Right now. I think with maximizers, I'm definitely a maximizer. There's a, uh, you know, there's a, a risk of never being satisfied, right? Oh, we can do always do more. I think the key with someone who's a maximizer like me, where I'm going, you know what, this is great, but I think we can do better. There's great, but you know, what? I think I can, I think I can be better here. I think there's a lot of utility in that because it does continue to help you up level versus if you're like, this is fine, which again, if you're that type of person, your focus is elsewhere, that's fine. But for me, like with my weight, let's just say that with my weight and my physique, I am very much a satisfizer. Like I'm done being like, let me see if I can get leaner. Let me see if I can diet more. Let me see how hard I can push myself physically. Like I don't give a fuck about that. For me, it's just about, I want to elevate the business skills because it's a new challenge for me. And so someone who is always looking for a challenge, not necessarily a competitive, but someone who's always looking for a challenge to challenge themselves is someone who's going to be a maximizer. And for me, business and leadership has been that. It's like, how can I push myself? And I also, if I'm honest, I like the idea of being someone who can do some of these things because I do feel like a lot of these things are 1% or actions. Most people don't want to have a hard conversation. Most people don't want to be honest. Most people want to lie. Most people want to get away with shit. Most people want to be lazy. Like I get it. But for me, I like not being that. I love being something that's harder to be, if that makes sense. Number four is people in, or people you're leading or, you know, need to be challenged and held to a high standard to perform at their best. But here's the deal is only if you, the leader, exemplify what that looks like. If you're not willing to do something, don't ask someone on your team to do it. And I really love this again, because it is this idea of leading by example. So if I tell people that in my organization, that integrity is important, then I have to be in my integrity, which, you know, it's hard. Sometimes I'm not in my integrity and I have to acknowledge that. So for me, there is this, you know, idea that we're all challenging ourselves but also I want to be that person who challenges others and holds them to a high standard, but only because I hold myself to one. And so I think that when people are, um, when people are challenged in that way and also given freedom to perform, they do rise to the occasion. I really believe that. I don't think that, um, you know, I don't think we have to baby people. I don't think, I think, in fact, I think it's insulting to baby people, to be honest, and like coddle people. Um, I think that's different than supporting someone. But people like to be challenged and held to a high standard to perform at their best. But again, only if you're willing to walk your walk to. Number five is trust isn't earned. It's offered immediately. Now, this might be a little bit, um, this might be a little bit, what's the word, uh, controversial. So there's this camp that's like, hey, trust needs to be earned. You have to show me, you have to prove to me that I can trust you. And I think that is a massive disservice, especially when you hire someone or you have someone working underneath you. In fact, I'm the opposite. I'm like, I'm going to trust you until I can. And so you really do, in my experience, have to throw people into the deep end because then they have the opportunity to not only show you, but more importantly, show themselves 
that they can do it to build self-efficacy. You know, I want my team to be resourceful. You know, do they have to, if they need to ask me questions or need support or guidance, of course, I'll be there like, hey, what, what do you need from me to make this happen? But they're the ones who, if they need a new piece of software, they got to go find it. If they need, you know, more support, if they need a, a VA, like they're the ones who have to come to me and say, hey, here's, here's what I need to perform my best and here's why. So yes, I'm going to give them support and guidance, but I'm not going to point them in the right direction. In fact, for me, they have to, I like them being thrown into the lion's den so that they can build self-efficacy. Self-efficacy just means like they're, they're able to do it. They see themselves, they, they're like, okay, maybe I could do that. And, you know, when I think about this as the leader, of course you should be there to catch them when they need support or guidance, but let people learn as they go. People can figure it out. People are smart. People are resourceful. People are resilient. Your business is not so fragile that small mistakes or slip ups as they're learning are going to make it or break it. Sure. We've had plenty, we've had mistakes at Jill Fit that I would never have made. And I know that there's like times I'm like, ah, like I know I wouldn't. And it's not to say that I don't make mistakes, but I make, I don't, I barely make any mistakes, like setting out the wrong link or something like that. Like I don't, cause I dot my eyes and cross my teeth. I was doing it for 10 years by myself. So there are things that have gone wrong in the business, things that I personally wouldn't miss, but it's worth it because now we're operating on such a higher level, but also it teaches people to get better. So in moments like that, the, the vibe at JillFit is if something goes wrong, most people like on the team, they don't really like get up. They don't like, I don't get mad at them. That's not really what I'm here for because they're already upset with themselves. Not that I want them to be like upset with themselves and beating themselves up, but they take pride in their work. So how I'm asking, how can I generate pride for people? How can I generate that feeling of wanting to do a good job? So they don't feel like they're just trying to get away with stuff. Like to me, I'm like, I want, I'm not gonna be mad at you. Cause I want you to hold yourself to the standard of like, you don't like that you fucked up. You don't like that you made the mistake. So the last thing I'm going to do is like come down hard on you because I know you're already beating yourself up. But again, that's sort of a, uh, you know, a, a culture that we have to cultivate. Number six is likewise, treat your people like they're competent, even as they're learning a skill. So in psychology research, there's this uh, concept called the Pygmalion effect. And basically what it says is that when people are told that they're capable and that they are believed in, they're more likely to rise to the occasion and perform even better. And so when we treat our employees like they're already competent, when we treat them like they do a good job, like they're they're capable of doing a great job, when we treat them like, hey, you have like big things ahead of you, like this is just the beginning for you. When you believe in people, even more than they believe in themselves, by the way, they rise to the occasion. And again, it's not blowing smoke, like we're not making shit up, but it's the very much we talk on The Best Life, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, when we want to have a conversation with our partner, do we treat them like they can actually change? Do we treat them like there is a belief that we believe that they can do something? And it's the same thing with your team or people who you're managing. And so I love this idea because when we treat people like they're capable and we treat them like, hey, I believe in you, like I have your back, like I'm going to be here for you, they rise to the occasion. And so much of this like leadership and management, things like that really comes down to energetics, doesn't it? And it's hard because you don't want to mess up, right? You're just like, I want to say the right thing. So they do the right thing. I think so much of this is really trusting people and giving them space to make mistakes and teachable moments and giving them space and time to do things in their own way, which brings me to number seven, which is if your business is virtual, like Jill Fitz is, 
resist the temptation to micromanage your employees' time. If they're getting the job done well, if they're available when you guys have decided that they need to be, if they take initiative and be, are proactive, then who gives a shit if it takes 10 hours a week or 40? Like for me, we have people who work at JillFit all over the place. I don't expect them to sit at their computer for eight hours a day. Like to me, that's not what I want. I want them to get the job done, get the job done well, by the way, and be proactive. It'd be one thing if they were just sitting there like checking the box and waiting on a, a, a to-do list from me, but they don't. They already know what they have to do and they know what their job description is. And if they have some downtime, they're looking at the other things they can be doing in the business. So I don't care if they go for a hike at you know noon on a Tuesday, so long as they're being proactive and they're getting things done because I don't want people who are relying on me for a task list. And that's different. And that's a, the difference between having like a bunch of contractors that you're working with that are sort of waiting on you for like a to-do list versus bringing on like these competent team members who initiate, who are resourceful, who can figure stuff out, who are proactive and really see in our roles and the vision of where we're going. And so to me, I don't give a shit if it takes 10 hours, 40 hours, 80 hours. And certainly we have weeks where we work 60, 70 hours when we're launching. But to me, I'm like, it's however long it takes. Now, if I see you being complacent and I see things slipping through the cracks and I see you not being proactive, then we might have to have a conversation. But so long as you're, you're the one bringing your projects to me, you're getting shit done, you're initiating, then it's all good. I really don't care how long it takes. And lastly, the eighth lesson is I truly believe that it is a myth that no one will care about your business as much as you do. We all say this. I've said this before. I'm like, my business is my baby. How could someone possibly care about it as much as I do? And my experience is that just is not true. And that was my sentiment before I started bringing on team. In my experience, it's the opposite. When you enroll people in the vision, when they know what the mission is, when they know what we're trying to do here, when they can see what kind of impact we're making, when we give people a clear path to progression, like here's how you can grow in this position. I think that's one of the, the main things that a lot of us don't do is we're like, it, especially as an employee, I remember this, my, my full-time job being like, where could I even go from here? Like there's nowhere in the organization. There's no way for me to make more money here. There's no way for me to make more impact here. So if you give people a clear path to progression, if they feel as though what they do matters, which is really cool on our end, because really everyone on our team can, can see the outcome with the actual customer. If you're in middle management, sometimes you can't see the end user's experience. So it's really nice because everyone in our team gets to see the impact they're making. They feel like what they do matters. They feel like what how they show up really truly does impact the bottom line and the impact that we're making as a company. It is 100% possible for folks to want to do a great job, not for you necessarily, but because they care that much about what we're creating. And I think it's a, it's a limiting belief to be like, no one's going to care about this thing. And I think if that's your belief system, then you're going to constantly try and find reasons or find clues that people are not caring as much as you. And in fact, I think that if you give them what they need, you give them the support, the guidance, the direction, and you give them the freedom to feel like they uh, have uh, say in how we do as a company, they're going to start feeling like, oh yes, like this matters. It's when people feel like their efforts don't matter and they can't see the ROI on their efforts that they're going to be like, that's when they start to just check the box, right? That's when they start to get complacent. But I really do believe that people can love and want to do a great job just for them, not even for you, not to prove anything to you, not because you're looking over their shoulder, 
but because they really care. And so much of this stuff is so intangible. And I think that's what's hard about leadership or management in general. And I've only been doing this for three years. So I'm sure if you've been listening to this and you're in management of some kind, I would love to hear your take on this. We're trying to learn as we go, but I know how I would like to be treated. And I think I always try to come back to that is like, how would I like to be treated? How would I like to be led? How would I like to be managed? And then it's finding that right person who also has that same disposition. And as someone who is a go-getter, someone who is self-sufficient, someone who is resourceful and can figure things out on their own, not constantly having to like check with me every second, but takes pride in doing a good job. And there is a balance as a leader because, you know, I think my tendency in the past would be to check out. I'm just like, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm doing everything front-facing in the business. I record these podcasts. I coach, I teach, I do content creation. It would be easy for me to just be like, I have no time for the team, right? But when you bring in people who are A players, which we try to do at JillFit, to me, um, you know, you can give people a lot of leeway and you can also set up the team so that you're not always the person people have to come to. You know, we have someone called an integrator, which is the head of operations, and most everyone on the team reports to him. And so, and then he comes to me if there's anything I need to know, or like I'm a bottleneck or something like that. Like that's really where I think the magic is. But again, these things are so intangible. But I think I always try to default to more autonomy, more freedom, more trust, more incentives to really feel a part of like a growing company versus just feeling like this is a job. I think there's a big difference between enrolling someone in the vision of where we're going in a company versus just giving someone a fucking paycheck. And look, I want my, my team to make a lot of money. And of course, the bigger our pie gets, the bigger their slice gets. And so I try to incentivize them in as many different ways as possible to make that a reality. So anyway, I know that this is a little bit off topic for the best life, but this is the kind of stuff that sometimes we teach in, at FitBizU. Uh, but I always, my brain has been on business. We are in business season at JillFit. So I thought if you are in middle management or your management of some kind, or you're a leader within an organization, or you even are a, an online coach, you're thinking about bringing on a VA. I think there's a lot of things that I've learned over the last three years that maybe I wouldn't have known three years ago. And as a result of this experience, I want to share here. So hopefully that that is helpful for you guys. And uh, if you have any questions or you want to follow up on this discussion, feel free to DM me at Jill Fit or you can DM us uh, at the Best Life Podcast. And of course, we would always love if you guys left a rating and review wherever you listen to the show. That would be great for us. And we would be so appreciative. You can leave a five-star rating and then just a couple of sentences and a review so that you can give people who are potentially looking for a podcast like this some insight into what they might be able to find here. So y'all are the best. Thank you so much for being here and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye guys. Bye.